Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. We post all of our links out over there, whether it be podcasts, articles, different news and notes, any fantasy baseball or just regular baseball updates, you can get them all at Ethos Fantasy BB. And of course, if you want to just get them away from Twitter, all the same content can be found at sportsethos.com. I know that Twitter is not as user-friendly as it once was. It's certainly a, a little bit more challenging to navigate through the feeds there. So you guys can go right to sportsethos.com, hover over the MLB tab, and you guys will get all of that same content. Now today we're going to go over some news and notes. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about some notes that I made from yesterday's games. Usually, if you guys are unfamiliar or if you didn't see what I did last year, I'll talk about some standouts from the day before. I mean, I'm not talking about all of the standouts. If we see Mike Trout hit a couple of home runs, there's not so much you can do from a fantasy point of view other than just smile. If we see somebody like Brian Anderson hit a couple home runs, that's something we're going to talk about. So we'll go through those notes from yesterday. We're going to talk about today's games because there's just been so many aces going today. We're going to go through all of them, including Jacob deGrom and Grayson Rodriguez. That one was very fun to watch. I hope you guys were able to tune in for at least part of it because uh, that one was very, very entertaining. The current best pitcher in baseball versus hopefully a future uh, best pitcher in baseball, Grayson Rodriguez. We're going to talk about those matchups. We're going to talk about some other news and notes regarding injuries today and a couple of weird uh, things specifically regarding Tyler O'Neill and his place uh, within the Cardinals right now. But we're going to start off looking at yesterday's news and notes. And I mentioned him. Brian Anderson, you know, everybody's been adding up Brian Anderson. He has been very good to start the year. Coming into today, 8 for 15, 3 homers and 10 RBIs. It's just not sustainable. And we saw this last year. Uh, the comp that I made uh, going back and forth with somebody earlier on Twitter was Owen Miller from last season. If you guys remember Owen Miller, he was with Cleveland last season when the year started. And he batted like 400 through the first month of the year. He was looking great. Everybody wanted to add him. And, of course, it fell off because it was never really going to be that way for the entire season. He was never going to keep that up. He, he was incredible through the first month of the year. He's a top 10, 15 fantasy player. So, and it obviously fell off. Now, Brian Anderson, I think it's going to be something similar. I don't know how long it'll last exactly, but you know, when you hit three home runs in your first 15 at bats, driving in 10 RBIs, that's not sustainable for anybody. But Brian Anderson is not somebody who has a great profile. He does not have a great track record. He hit 20 home runs in 2019. Which, yes, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I could have hit 20 home runs in 2019, probably. A little bit hyperbolic, but you guys know what I'm talking about. In 2019, the ball was flying all over the place. We saw crazy home run totals that a lot of players hit that year that they'd never even come close to. Jeff McNeil, Christian Vasquez, you know, there's a lot of players who were up over 20 home runs that year who in most other years haven't even really cracked double digits. Now, he has cracked double digits in two other years, hitting 11 both times. The power is not something that we're, I don't think we're going to argue about. He's not a... He, not somebody who has a great power, a great you know power skill set. 158 career ISO, 
slugging 416 for the career. He's not a big power threat. He's in the middle of the lineup right now. Uh, he's been bad, and I believe fifth most of the time. He'll, he'll take it. It's it's good. But is it going to be something that sustains? Maybe he can bat in the middle of that lineup. I don't know what the upside really is in terms of counting stats, though. Even if he were to have an everyday role, which over the course of the entire season, we'll see. Is the upside 50 runs and 50 RBIs? Maybe best case scenario, like absolute best case scenario projections generally calling for between 45 and 60 runs between about 50 and 60 RBIs as well. That's probably about the best case scenario, honestly. Maybe he's able to get 65 of each. Maybe even that. I, I, I wouldn't be expecting it. Stolen bases. He's stolen 13 in his entire career going back to 2017. He had one last year in 98 games. His career high in any single year was five. He matched that in 2021 and in 2019. You're not getting speed out of him, especially this year where there's a lot of speed all over the place. He's not somebody you need to worry about for that at all. He's not going to help you there at all. And also the batting average. You know, he's been an all right batting average guy for his career, 258. He's just mediocre. He's a mediocre baseball player. He is not a fantasy asset. He's not somebody that I would be spending any kind of fab dollars on. I wouldn't be using a top waiver priority on him he's just not that interesting he's up to 29 percent rostered now in yahoo leagues he's currently listed as the number one fantasy player according to the way that yahoo does their rankings not for me i am just not there with brian anderson he is not somebody that i am going to be adding even though you know position eligibility is nice he's looked very good i'd be i'd be shocked if this is able to sustain even for a couple more days it's a very nice little stretch but we're talking about somebody who has 60 home runs in more than 2,000 plate appearances. The power is not just all of a sudden showing up here for his age 30 season. I'd be very shocked. <clears throat> if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, <clears throat> and I'll miss out on him, and I'll pick up somebody else because I'm going to put my eggs in the basket of somebody who has a little more upside, a Garrett Mitchell, his own teammate, Garrett Mitchell. There's a lot more upside there with the speed, high prospect pedigree, young guy. Yes, he's batting lower in the order. He also hit two home runs yesterday. He is somebody that I would much rather take a chance on just because of the upside. At this point of the year, you're not shooting for a guy that you can, you know, get a couple of nice games out of, a nice week out of. It's it's nice. It looks good in your lineup if you added Brian Anderson after the first couple games and you got the two home runs yesterday. Good for you. Those stats will count either if it's head-to-head for the rest of the week or Roto for the rest of the year. But the upside in the long run is very limited with Brian Anderson. If you're using a top waiver priority on him, you're going to regret it very soon. I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. But I don't think I will be. Brian Anderson is not somebody that I am targeting anywhere. Maybe in a 15-teamer. Maybe in an NFBC league in a 15-teamer. You, you, I mean, people are going to bid on him. People are going to throw a bunch of fab at him because that's just the way that it works. You know, People try and latch on to the next hot thing. There's just not a lot to suggest that Brian Anderson is actually the next hot thing for any sustained period of time. So I'm passing on him. Let's move on, though, and talk about Yandy Diaz. I think he's very, very undervalued. When I put out my notes on Twitter last night, he was 42% rostered over on Yahoo. He's up at 46 right now, and he's one for four today in the game that's taken place with two runs scored. He is somebody who can be very valuable. He's going to hit probably close to 300. going to give you about 15 home runs, and batting at the top of the Rays lineup, I think we're going to see likely about 80 runs scored from him, somewhere in that ballpark anyway, between... I would say between 70 and 85 runs scored is the most likely outcome. At the top of a very good lineup, he's got eligibility at first and third. I'm adding him wherever I can at this point. I think maybe not in the shallowest of formats, maybe not in an 8 or a 10-team league. Even in a 10-team league, I think he's he's a borderline add for that versatility that you get position-wise. You're also getting a leadoff hitter. A leadoff hitter anywhere in Major League Baseball is very valuable. 
okay, maybe there are some teams like the Nationals or depending on who Oakland trots out, if it's Tony Kemp or whatever, there are some situations where they're not going to be viable. But the leadoff hitter for a good lineup who hits 300, who is capable of hitting 300, with decent power, like there's no reason for me not to take a look at Diaz here. I'd much rather have him, much, much rather have him over Brian Anderson. I think it's much more sustainable what he's doing. And I like the team context and everything a lot better with Diaz. So he is somebody that I would look at if you're looking to, you know, fill in a third base spot on your lineup. I, I would take Diaz there if there is availability for you. Spencer Torkelson, he went three for four yesterday with a home run. Good sign after starting the year two for 15. But I'm not really at the point of adding him up in standard size leagues. I want to see just a bit more in that lineup. There's not a lot of upside for counting stats. The park is better than it was, but it's still not great it's still not a hitter friendly ballpark I want to see a little bit more from somebody who's first base eligible in a lot of leagues a lot of 12 team leagues which is what most people play in I think I don't know that you're going to need somebody like a Torkelson 12 first baseman deep in a league you're still looking at you know very valuable first baseman who will not even be in a starting first base role you know Christian Walker Rowdy Tellez those guys might be Andrew Vaughn maybe um, but you know, when those guys are probably going to be occupying like utility spots, I don't know where you're going to be putting Spencer Torkelson. If you're in a deeper league, if it's deeper rosters, 15 teamers, yes, I would take a chance on him still good prospect pedigree. We can you know, hopefully see him correct some of the wrongs of last year. And he looks better than he did last year for sure. He was awful, but I'm not there yet in shallow leagues, deeper leagues. Uh, sure. Take a chance in a 15 teamer, but I'm not there yet in, in your 12 team leagues for him. Jose Siri has looked really, really good so far. Five for 15, two homers and a steal. Most projections have him going for about five and 15. <clears throat> or excuse me, five and 15. I was reading the wrong line of my uh, my of my text there. Um, he's Most projections have him going for about 15 and 20. And I think when you're considering that lineup as well, and again, he's at the bottom of the Rays lineup. He's not been batting at the top of the order, but... They are known to, to mess around a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, if he keeps this up, move up somewhere closer to the top of the order. Right now, he's been batting anywhere from 6th to ninth. Yeah, he was he's occupied the ninth hole a couple times. But he's looked very, very good in doing it. We know the speed is legit. If the power is going to follow along with it in that lineup, I'm, I'm willing to take a speculative add on Jose Siri. The, the upside there, you know, and some people might say, well, he hasn't been as good as Brian Anderson. Why would you take a chance on him over Brian Anderson? you're getting more production. You're getting you know, the potential for probably the same amount of power you're going to get from Anderson, maybe even a bit more, to go along with what will likely be 20 steals. It might even be more than 20 steals. We know the power is legit from the minor leagues. He has had crazy totals at some levels of the minor leagues. So I'm willing to take a chance on him, especially with Tampa. Tampa, there's always a little bit of added magic there. I know it's not analytical. It sounds like bullshit. But they're always able to get a little bit more out of these players who you might think, okay, <clears throat> throwaway players or not fantasy-relevant players. They turn them into fantasy-relevant players. Jose Siri is somebody where I would take a gamble on this point of the year. I think the upside is really, really there for, like, uh, I want to be careful here how how extreme I want to say this. But, like, a borderline top 100 batter, you know, I, I think that we could see that out of Jose Siri. I think, you know, if he meets what the projections are giving you, 15 and 20, that'll play everywhere. Uh, and you know, I think it could potentially be even a little bit more in terms of the steals. 15 and 25, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely looking at Jose Siri. He's not somebody that there has been a lot of traction on in Yahoo leagues, 11% rostered right now. He's somebody to take a look at. You know, he is, 
he's not a must roster player yet, but he is trending in that direction. I think he's I think he's pretty close. He's he's pretty close to it. Second and third base eligibility. Or excuse me, I'm <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my text. I'm reading the wrong lines here. He has outfield eligibility. Outfield eligibility. I apologize there. I misspoke. Outfield eligibility for Jose Siri. The next guy we're going to talk about is second and third eligible. Uh, but he is somebody where I would be looking to add him. Isn't he's not the hottest commodity off the waiver wire? Eight percent rostered last night up to 11% today, so he's not been flying off the shelf. You can still get him. You can still plug him in there. And I think that it would be wise if you're looking for a little bit of that power-speed combo that he is able to provide. Josh Rojas. He is the second, third-base eligible guy that I jumped up a second ago. Now, he's been leading off against right-handed pitching for Arizona, which is very, very valuable. I think that lineup is a lot better than is maybe was expected to be. Um, they're not, they're not going to be amazing, but they have a very solid team that is capable of scoring runs. If he's leading off against right-handed pitching, most of the time you're facing right-handed pitching. In, in the world we live in, I don't know exact percentages. I want to say 80-plus percent of starters are right-handed pitchers, probably a little bit higher even. Most of the time you're going to see him out there leading off. It, it seems to be what they're going to do. We know the potential for Josh Rojas, even just from last year. He gave you nine home runs, 23 stolen bases, and a 270 batting average. That was very valuable. I think in a daily changes league, he's somebody that you should really be looking at. If he's sitting against left-handed pitching or if he's batting eighth or ninth, if he does get into the lineup, you don't start him. And that's the, the beauty of a daily changes league. You'll probably have a guy or two who you can plug in there instead of him. But when he's leading off, you can plug him in there either at second, third, utility, it's good couple positions to be eligible at, considering that they are probably the two most scarce positions in fantasy. You know, he's capable of giving you 10 home runs, roughly 20 stolen bases, and I think, you know, with that decent average he provides, too, he's not really going to hurt you anywhere. He's not going to be an everyday guy necessarily for you, <clears throat> but he's going to play most days. He's going to play four or five days a week at least. In a weekly lineup, it's a little bit trickier. I mean, he's still somebody that should be rostered, I think, everywhere, even in weekly lineups, and you kind of just have to hold your breath a little bit, look at the matchups. If you see that Arizona's due to face four lefties in a week, maybe you don't start him. Most weeks, that should not be an issue. I think that Rojas does make the cut. I drafted him in a couple leagues. People were pushing him down. They were unsure about playing time, about roster, or about lineup positioning. I, I think so far, the concerns are, and we can understand it because he hasn't played against lefties. But I think when you're looking at the upside that he provides, <clears throat> considering that he's still available in more than 50% of leagues, uh, I would be taking a strong look at him as like a back-end guy to keep on your bench or even even start uh, in your 12-team leagues. He probably doesn't cut it in 10-team leagues. He's close. Uh, daily changes, that is. But in 12-team leagues, I would be adding up Josh Rojas. Jorge Mateo. He did it last year, and we were all kind of skeptical if he could do it last year or not because the batting average not good. Historically, the, the power wasn't really – I mean, we don't have a lot to work on here, but he didn't profile as somebody who was going to have a ton of power. Last year, he had 13 home runs, 35 stolen bases, and he kind of proved everybody wrong. This year, through four games, Jorge Mateo has two homers, four steals. He scored six times, and he's driven in five runs. You know, it's not going to sustain at this rate because he's never been a great walk rate guy. Always had a bit of a higher strikeout rate, but through these four games, we're looking at an even walk and strikeout rate for him so far. Two strikeouts and two walks. It's way too early to read anything into that particular metric, but overall, he is somebody where you're going to play. He's going to play most days. Uh, he's going to be the everyday shortstop in Baltimore, I think. He might not play every single day, but so far, we're talking six games. He started five of them. He's giving you stupid, stupid stolen base numbers. I think the potential is really there for 50 stolen bases. 
I think you're probably would be safe to project 40 out of him. If he's able to play every single day, I think 40 does make sense. I've kind of changed my tune on him a little bit over the last couple of days, thinking about it and looking at their roster resource construction. He's the guy that should be there. You know, the worry that I had a little bit was about playing time. He did play 150 games last season. He can bounce around a little bit. I think he's capable of playing third base. I, I could be wrong there, and let me just double-check it. But I think he is capable of playing in a couple of different spots uh, in the infield. Let me just take a look and see. He has played second, third, all over the outfield in his career. I, I And, of course, shortstop. I don't think that he is somebody who is going to lack for playing time. He should not lack for production either. If anything... The batting average is probably not going to be great, but you can make up for that, especially with the stolen base production and likely power, too, that you're going to be getting out of Mateo. I don't think he's going to be a 20 home run guy, but can he hit 15? I think very easily after showing us 13 last year, uh, you know, especially having hit two so far in the first four games, I'd be willing to bet on 15 home runs and, and 40, 45 stolen bases out of him. Will he bat 220, 230? Probably. But at that point, I really don't even care considering the other production. So I think he's a solid option, Jorge Mateo, in all formats at this point. Jason Vossler has taken advantage of Great American Ballpark so far. He hit a home run in three straight games. He's probably someone that's going to get some, some fab action this weekend. He's probably going to be somebody that you look at in a 15-team league. In your 10s and 12s and shallower formats, <clears throat> he's not going to cut it. He, he's really not... There's no real track record at all here to look at with Jason Vossler to say, yeah, you know, uh, he, he's potentially going to actually do a lot for you. He's been a minor leaguer his entire career, so it's really hard to, to properly judge. But in the minors, we're talking about somebody who has, you know, in A hit you 20 home runs. It was a year in A where he hit you 20. Last year was 18 with kind of a poor batting average, no speed. At Great American Ballpark, could he hit like 20 home runs? He could, but that's going to be pretty much it out of Vossler. You're not going to have a lot of counting stats from him there. Runs and RBIs are, are probably not going to be abundant. He has seven RBIs so far in four runs. I don't think that we're going to see that sustained in that lineup. It's a good ballpark. The lineup itself, the players in it are not that exciting. I don't know that we're going to see Vossler certainly not sustain this pace for home runs or for RBIs because they're both, they're both ridiculously unsustainable. There is a bit of power there. But I, you know, other than the fact that he's playing at Great American Ballpark, there's not really a huge appeal there for me with Vossler. I think you're, you're going to be better off not using an ad on him. He's only in, rostered in 4% of leagues, but he's currently a top 20 player, and people see that. And people, I mean, more than 2,000 Yahoo leagues have added him up today. Most of those are 12-team leagues. Now, there's going to be some 10s and some 15s and whatnot, but most of them are 12-team leagues. I don't think he's going to cut it there. I really don't. Third base is nice. Third base eligibility is nice because the position just sucks. But when you're looking realistically, the best case scenario is probably, I'll, I'll give him 20 home runs as the best case scenario. Maybe, you know, 55, 60 runs in RBIs. Maybe you want to argue that that's a back-end guy if you really want to go for it. Sure. For me, uh, it's just there's not really that much upside there when you consider the, the fact that there's no real speed. There's not really much uh, of an impact he's going to have in the batting average department either. I, I'm just there's more exciting players that you can add or you can just hold off and not add anybody and kind of just hope for somebody a little bit better to come out of the woodwork because Vossler is not somebody where I'd be looking at him as saying this is a secure rest of season option very similarly to Brian Anderson I think this is more just random luck than anything else other than yes oh he's breaking out you know guys who come up at age what is he 29 yeah he's 29 and a half 
after spending their whole career in the minors, sometimes you see a nice story like this, like Joey Manessis last year, or like Frank Schwindel the year before. It happens occasionally, and maybe he is this year's version of those two players. I'm just shooting for more upside at this point of the season. He's a guy where you'd fall back on a little bit later on in the year and say, okay, I didn't get the hot ads earlier in the season, so I'll go for I'll go for Vossler because he's in a good ballpark with good eligibility. But I don't think that you should be adding him up over anybody we talked about today. I, I would prefer everybody, every single other player that we mentioned today. Anderson, I'd prefer like, even Anderson, who I'm really not a big fan of. I would rather take the chance of him in the middle of the Milwaukee lineup, having been a major league player, as opposed to Vossler, who really does not have a lot of experience at his age, 82 games, including the five this year. The only real wild card factor that could prove me wrong here is Great American Ballpark, and he could lock himself into a Brandon Drury type of 20-plus home run season just from the nature of the ballpark he's in. We'll wait and see. And if you're in a Yahoo league, there's no huge rush to go and add him. He's in, rostered in 4% of league. So in deeper leagues, in 15-team leagues, he'll be added as a fab guy this weekend for sure. No question about it. But if you're in a standard league, like I know a lot of you are, he is not somebody where I would be taking the plunge and dropping somebody you drafted or somebody a little more a little bit more secure in their playing time and in their position on the team as a whole. Uh, I'd be preferring those guys to Jason Vossler. And of course, if there's any individual pickup questions, I'm always answering DMs and, and tweets over at JoeOrico99. So let me know if you're thinking about picking him up. Maybe there's an individual case where you're in a deeper league where you where you would pick him up. Or maybe even in a 12-team league where you say, you know, it's a deeper 12-team league. You know, there's middle infield, there's corner infield spots. In that kind of situation, it's obviously very case-by-case. Case. So let me know if there are any individual questions regarding Vossler or anybody else. I'll do my best to answer them. But we'll talk about one more guy today from yesterday, and that's TJ Friedel. I think he is somebody to monitor in shallow leagues. He got a little bit of hype in terms of the uh, higher stakes leagues this offseason. Some 15-team players were kind of hyping him up. I'd like to see him bat more towards the top of the order. He's bounced around from second to ninth, 2-9-2-9-2, literally in the games that they have played so far. I don't love that, but at the same time, it doesn't really kill you, especially if you're in a daily changes format again, because I know a lot of the content in the offseason was more talking NFBC. I know a lot of you guys don't play those leagues. You're playing in daily changes leagues, and TJ Friedel is somebody where you can plug him in when he's batting second, especially when he's at home. And you might be able to get 15 and 15 out of him with a decent average. Like He's not going to blow you away, but TJ Friedel could be somebody where you end up being kind of surprised by the production that he gives you at the end of the season. Uh, you know, uh, It's a lot of it, not maybe not a lot of it, but there's a good portion of it that does come down to the ballpark because I don't think that he has that much power himself. He's probably like a 10, 12 home run guy where maybe he can luck into 15, a great American ballpark. The speed, I think it's fairly legit. I think double-digit steals should be there. And the batting average should be in the 250 to 260 neighborhood. I think he's a back-end guy. You can think about adding in 12-team leagues as like a bench option. I'm not quite there yet. He is more like a watch list guy. But like 15-teamers for sure, he's probably already rostered. 12-teamers, just, just keep an eye on TJ Friedel because we could end up seeing a very good season out of him, and he's still only 10% rostered in Yahoo League. So there's not a huge need to rush, uh, but just take a look and see. Uh, if that production is something that you think might benefit your team, a little bit extra power and speed, it truly benefits most teams at this point of the year, any point of the year, a guy who can give you double-digit homers and steals while not killing you in the batting average department either, like a Cody Bellinger type. So take a look at him. Uh, Friedel might be somebody that uh, it could be an interesting pickup for you. But let's move on. Let's talk about today's games. The big one, the exciting one for me, Grayson Rodriguez and Jacob DeGrom. I tweeted this out earlier today. 
I have them both in my home league. Uh, I started them both, and I watched the game, which is probably not advisable when you have starters going to watch them. It's usually not going to work out, especially this year. But this one was very fun. Jacob DeGrom, six innings pitched, 11 strikeouts, one earned run, two walks, and a couple of hits allowed. He did get the victory. Grayson got a no decision here. Five innings, five strikeouts, two earned runs, one walk, and four hits allowed. After the first inning, it looked like the wheels were fully come off for Grayson and he was going to need to be sent back down after the game. He threw like 30 pitches in the first inning. He allowed a couple runs, did not strike out a batter in the first. He looked bad. Like he, he did not look like he had proper control. His speed was there. He was touching 98, I think 99 maybe, but he did not look good in the first. He came back out and through the second through the fifth inning, he looked like a completely different pitcher, giving you those strikeout numbers that you were hoping for, not allowing any more runs. He was very, very solid once he finally was able to you know, settle in there in the second inning. And I shouldn't say finally. It's not like it took a long time, but it was good to see him get settled in there. Now, Grayson Rodriguez, he's going to stay. Like, I, There's been some talk I've seen just even in the last hour or so about whether or not he'll stay in, up in the rotation, whether he'll go back down. I don't think they can send him down after this. Like he looked once he got settled in, he looked really good. I would expect him to make the next start. It obviously depends on how they want to use the rotation. I'm not sure who it would come up against. Going to take a quick look here and see if I can kind of figure that out based on their schedule, uh, because they do have a couple of guys who are injured, and maybe they you know decide to go with an opener or whatever. So the game tomorrow uh, was already postponed. So one, two, three, four. It looks like it'll be against the Athletics. It looks like his next start will be against the Athletics at home. He's got to be. He's got to be on rosters. He's only rostered in 68% of Yahoo leagues. That number is going to shoot up. If you're in a daily changes league and you don't have to wait for waiver wire to go uh, at midnight or you don't have to wait for Fab to run in the morning or anything like that, I would just go pick him up right now if you can. Not everybody's going to be in that situation if you've already, you know, it, depending on you know how, who you've used today so far and your pickup situation and of course league settings, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But that sixty eight percent is going to be closer to eighty by morning. I would go and get him while you can because if he's able to settle in like that and give you those kind of outings every time, even with the bad first inning, the numbers today were a three sixty ERA and a one whip, one on the dot with five strikeouts and five innings. So even with the poor first inning, he was still able to settle down and looked really, really good. So. He's somebody that I would be going and getting if you still can. It won't be a lot of leagues, but see if Grayson is still available. DeGrom is just a joy to watch. He is just an absolute treat. You're sitting there literally just smiling to yourself watching him pitch because he's just that good. You feel like a crazy person every now and then. I felt like a crazy person just watching him. Feeling like, you know, a little chuckle or something like that. Like, holy shit, you know, just saying something like that. And you're sitting there. I'm sitting there by myself watching the game thinking, well, if anybody walks by my house, they're going to think I'm talking to myself. It's just Jacob DeGrom is just that good. He was just... Truly, I, I put out a poll earlier on Twitter. I'm kind of curious, actually, where we are on that one. Jacob DeGrom in his prime or Clayton Kershaw in his prime? Absolute top of their peak, top of their powers. Right now, um, 54% of the vote has gone to Jacob DeGrom, 46 to Clayton Kershaw. It's understandable. Uh, I mean, I don't know which way I'd go between them, but DeGrom is arguably the best pitcher I've ever seen live. The fact that he's able to, to be healthy so far through these two starts, 73 pitches, 92 pitches. He's got 18 strikeouts in his first nine and two-thirds innings. I'm excited. I'm very excited. I only have the one share in my home league. I was kind of nervous earlier on in the year, 15-team drafts to take him, bigger commitment there. But in the shallower home league, I took him. And I'm very happy I did. I'm I'm not sure exactly what this will mean for the entire season because we don't know with Jacob DeGrom, but he has started off as you probably would have hoped for. I mean, 
the five earned runs in the first start, obviously not what you would have hoped for, but the stuff looked good. The CSW strikeout rates, all that were good. The results weren't really that important with him. It's more about being healthy for the. And I said this after the first start. Even if Degrom had gone out in the first three starts and got his shit rocked, you know, giving up five earned runs in each, if he was able to throw 80, 90, 100 pitches and didn't have to leave early with anything, that's a victory. You're not shooting for April victories here, even if it's head to head. It, it's not that important as opposed to what will come later in the season. And if you miss the playoffs by one game or something, then yes, obviously it does become important. But in terms of the grand scheme of things, we're looking for signs with DeGrom rather than results. We're looking for the process rather than the results here. The process looks very good so far uh, with Jacob DeGrom. 92 pitches over six innings, 11 strikeouts. That's very, very good. He ran into a bit of trouble. I want to say it was the fourth. Was it the fourth inning? Uh, fourth or fifth? Let me t- let me just double check here. Uh, it was the fifth. It was the fifth inning where he gave up a couple of runs, uh, but just two hits on the day. Like he is just spectacular. I could just go on and on and just talk about Jacob Degrom for hours, but I won't do that. We'll move on and we'll talk about another great pitching matchup that I didn't actually watch any of this game because I was occupied with the other game: Jesus Lazardo and Pablo Lopez. Let's start with Jesus Lazardo. Seven innings, ten strikeouts, one earned run, one walk, and five hits allowed. That was coming off of the first start against the Mets, where he threw five and two thirds, allowed two hits, and struck out five. Now he walked four in that first outing against the Mets. Really good to see him just walk one batter. We've seen him throw 91 and now 99 pitches. He looks really, really good. Jesus Lazardo was probably a little bit undervalued in drafts, just looking back on what he did last year. I started to come around later on in draft season, but by that point where I was really ready to buy in, he wasn't really going in the range where I wanted to pay uh, that price anymore. And he didn't get up too, too high. Let me just take a look, actually, and see where he ended up going in uh, in main event drafts because it's probably not as high as he should have gone. And pitching has been such a shit show to start the year. Who knows what will really end up happening in terms of this guy should have gone there, this guy shouldn't have gone there. But I think at this point it looks like he went a little bit late. 118 was his main event ADP. Uh, minimum of 100, maximum of 143. you got to be happy if you took him anywhere in that range, anywhere post-pick 100. He looks like he could potentially be that stud that we saw at times last year, the guy who can give you a 30% K rate. Walks might be a little bit of an issue still. But it's a good sign seeing him go seven strong and just walking one batter today. Jesus Lazardo, uh, you know, I think we undervalued him. I think at the end of the day, we undervalued him, but he's looking really, really good so far. Uh, just somebody to monitor just to see how good he can possibly get. He's obviously not available anywhere, uh, but just a very good sign for managers who drafted him. Now, somebody I was kind of a little bit low on, and I'm feeling rather foolish so far to start the year, is Pablo Lopez. He threw seven innings of his own, three hits, one earned run, one walk, and eight strikeouts for him. This was against his old team. So maybe there was a little bit extra in the tank, but you know his opening start of the year was against Kansas City. He struck out eight batters over five and a third. He looked just as good. 88 and 85 pitches for him. Pablo Lopez looking like a huge bargain on draft day if he's able to keep this up. He was somebody where I was, I was really not interested in him at all. The price was pretty fine. Uh, 150 was his main event ADP, 149.4. I just wasn't really interested there. There was that was the range where I was mostly taking batters and drafts, the 140, or even like 130 through about 170 range. I usually would have taken a couple pitchers by then and then just stacked a bunch of pitchers after that point. I don't have any Pablo Lopez. I wish I do. 
he looked good. The velocity has looked good. He has just been a stud so far this year. His next start up will be against the White Sox, uh, and it will be, I'm not sure about the venue. Let me double check the venue there. Um, the White Sox and the Twins will be playing in, drum roll, um, where is it? Why is it? Well, now the data, okay, never mind. It is in Minnesota. Apologies there. Uh, it'll be early next week uh, in Minnesota. So home start for Lopez. After starting the year off on the road, we'll see if he's able to keep up uh, what he's started so far because he's looked really, really good. Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease struggled with his control, which is a big reason why we were kind of down on him to start the year. Five walks, and he didn't have any walks in the in the first game of the year against Houston. It was six and a third, ten strikeouts. Looked dominant. Here he still looked good for the most part. Eight strikeouts over five innings, one earned run, but the five walks, that's what's going to kill you with Dylan Cease. His whip is probably not going to be at the point where it was last year, and the whip was only good last year because he was just so dominant in every other facet besides the strikeouts. Uh, excuse me, besides the walks. Like, the strikeouts were so good. He was he was dominant, and that's why last year he gave you a whip that was, uh, what was it, 1.11 with a 10% strike or with a 10% walk rate, which is ridiculous. It probably should have been with, with you know, the way he pitched, 30% K rate, ERA in the low twos. It should have been like a .9. But the fact that he walks too many batters did inflate that a little bit, and it didn't hurt you because he was just good enough in the other places that it didn't matter. Uh, but this is something where I'd be I'd be a little bit concerned uh, with Dylan Cease's control. He's facing a team in San Francisco that does swing and miss a lot. Eight strikeouts is good. I don't, I don't know. You don't need to nibble around the zone as much with San Francisco. Again, I need to probably go back and watch a little bit of this tape. Um, but I don't know why he still has these struggles with control. I thought we were getting better. And, of course, it's just one start. Maybe it doesn't sustain uh, but it's definitely a sign for me that uh, maybe maybe that first start of the year for Dylan Cease was not exactly who he is going to be going forward every single time out. Shane McClanahan gave us a bit of a scare. He walked four batters and allowed two earned runs, but ended up picking up the victory over six innings against Washington. Five hits allowed, six strikeouts. Looked good. Looked good. He's got wins in both of his first starts, six innings in each, 87 and 94 pitches. Makes me feel very good about ranking him as the number two starting pitcher in baseball. I want to see the strikeouts get up a little bit higher, but it's definitely good to see him uh, getting those victories. Still having decent strikeout numbers. We, we know he's capable of more than just one strikeout per inning, but he's still easing into the year. Uh, the four walks, bit of a concern, but not something that I'm going to look at as being a, a huge problem just yet. Uh, Shane is not somebody who has massive control problem like a Dylan Cease. Uh, he's not somebody where I'd look at that and say it's something that we should be concerned about. It's way too early for that. He actually has very good control. So four, four walks, not good there, uh, but I wouldn't be looking at that as something to worry about too much. I'm very happy to have ranked him as the number two starting pitcher for the year, but I'm not happy to have ranked Corbin Burns at this point as my number one starting pitcher. It wasn't exactly a hot take. A lot of people had Corbin Burns as their number one pitcher. It was either him or it was uh, Garrett Cole for the most part. Those are the two guys that most people went back and forth between. Corbin Burns has looked pretty bad to start the season so far. Today, against the Mets, four and a third, six earned runs, two homers, two walks, only three strikeouts. First start of the year at the Cubs. You figured this was a smash chance for him to have a great start to start the year. It was four earned runs, three walks, and three strikeouts. He has six strikeouts and five walks. He's allowed two home runs, 10 earned runs, in nine and a third innings for Cease. Excuse me, for Corbin Burns. 
still on cease there in my in the back of my head. Corbin Burns has been very, very concerning. I have him in a couple of leagues, a couple of important leagues too. And he is not up to scratch so far. The velocity is a little bit down across the board. But we're not at the point of panicking yet. We're not at the point of selling Corbin Burns for Brian Anderson. No, that's a joke. But we're, we're not, you know, I think you guys know what I mean. We're not selling Corbin Burns at any kind of discount just yet. I'm just, I want to see him ease into the season. And maybe it takes a couple more starts than we had hoped. But I'm not ready to throw away everything that Corbin Burns has done in his career and just say, yeah, he's, he's cooked. Because that's a lot of the takes I'm seeing today. Corbin Burns is cooked. Corbin Burnt. You know, things like that I'm seeing online. It's cute. It's probably not accurate. I know that down the stretch last year, he wasn't the sharpest we would have probably wanted. He was not nearly this bad. He's not going to be anywhere near this bad. If someone's trying to get rid of Corbin Burns in your league, I would go and grab him in a heartbeat. You probably spent the first round pick on him if you drafted him, maybe beginning of the second round, depending on league size. But he was likely the number one pitcher taken in your league, not including Shohei Otani and the weirdness him with him there across multiple sites. Corbin Burns was probably the number one pitcher taken in your league. If someone's willing to trade him for less than that value, if they're trying to get him for a second, third, fourth round player, I would do it. It's two starts. Yes, it's not good. It's it's not a good way to start the season, but it is still two starts, and it's still way too way too early to read anything that substantial into the bad the bad stuff yet. And now if the velocity was down like four miles, like Eric Lauer, his teammate, the velocity was down like four miles an hour. That's where you can say, okay, maybe there's an injury there. Maybe there's something that we don't know about necessarily, and I don't think there's been any like massive updates on Lauer. I think there were just, you know, the velocity was down for him, and I don't know that we've heard much about that. It's been down for Burns, but not nearly to the same degree and not nearly to a degree yet where I would be panicking at all with him. He's still, in my mind, one of the two or three absolute best pitchers in all of baseball being down about a tick or so, a tick and a half, it's still early, right? I'm still banking on the fact that it is very early and that Corbin Burns is going to rebound and give us another close to a Cy Young-worthy season like we have seen these last several years. I'm not that worried enough where I would be trading him at all and certainly not at a discount. If someone wants to acquire him, they are paying full first-round value for me still. Way too early to really, truly press the panic button uh, just yet. And we had Garrett Cole. And Aaron Nola today in Philadelphia. Garrett Cole was the victor here, going six and a third, eight strikeouts, one earned run, three walks, and three hits. Very good start to the year for Garrett Cole. Five walks and 12 innings is not the, your, your favorite thing to see. But he does have 19 strikeouts. He has won both of these first two games. Playing in Yahoo Points Leagues, you would have got 39.5 points in the first start, 31.6 in the second start from him. So that's all. that's all good and fine. The worry for me with with uh, Cole coming into the year was never how he would start. It's how he finishes because these last couple of seasons, he has kind of tailed off in September, and he has not been good for head-to-head managers. And that It was never going to be a thing where I thought he was going to struggle out of the gate. It's good to see him flourishing out of the gate, but I'm not really changing anything right now in terms of rank. Cole's not moving up. Burns isn't moving down. It's staying the way it is because it's way too early to really, truly know what's going on. If Burns struggles for another couple of starts – then we'll talk. If Cole continues to flourish, then there's a good chance potentially that they'd be flip-flopped or that I would make some kind of movements there at the top of the rankings. But for right now, it is still way too early to do much of anything, especially too early to panic sell anybody. And I, I get them every day. People send me trade offers that they've gotten and they've received and they've sent out themselves. 
and a lot of the time it's like, well, it's it's fairly early in the year for this kind of panic. Uh, you know, two starts, one bad game, four strikeouts, golden sombrero kind of thing. It's too early for panicking. It's too early for, for any massive movements. Garrett Cole, this is what we want to see out of Garrett Cole. He's performing the way that we should have expected out of somebody who we spent a first-round pick on. So this is not something that we should be saying, oh, my God, look, he's looked, he's looked amazing. He's looked very good, but it's what we – we're expecting out of Gary Cole. So there's no movement for me there. Obviously, the Burns thing is concerning, but again, I reiterate, I'm not moving them up. I still have Burns ahead of Cole. It's a long season, and I'm not ready to write off my process in the offseason, the entire offseason now, just based on, you know, two starts to start the year. It's not nearly enough of a sample size for me to really, to really be worried yet. Let's talk about a couple of news and notes, though. Uh, those are the big dogs that have gone today so far. Um, you know, there's a couple other pitchers who did fairly well. Mitch Keller had a good start today, which was good to see. Seven innings, seven strikeouts against Boston. Strikeouts seem to be there for him. He's probably a deeper league guy at this point. Still not cutting it for me in 12-team leagues. Bryce Elder shocked everybody and had a good start today against St. Louis. Six innings pitched, six strikeouts, three walks, two hits. Got the victory. Again, no moves we made there. Bryce Elder was somebody where you're expecting him to get rocked today. Uh, I was lucky that he didn't, but not somebody where I'd be really banking on that happening. Again, uh, more just a lucky start than anything. Those are the, those are the big ones uh, for starting pitchers today. Now, in terms of some player news, Jordan Walker hit his first career home run. Really good sign to see there. Now, he's still batting at the bottom of the order, but I don't know that that's going to sustain for that long. And he's not going to bat first or second, I don't think. But will he bat, you know, fifth, sixth, as opposed to seventh, eighth? I think that's possible, especially if he keeps performing the way he has been. He has a hit in every game so far. He's driven in four runs. He's stolen a base, and now he has the home run. Third base and outfield eligible. It's not going to be many leagues, guys. And just before I say this and you guys think, what the hell is he talking about? Go see if he's available. Uh, go see if he is available in your more shallow leagues. He's 87% rostered in Yahoo leagues. It should not even be that low. It should be well over 90. There's a couple of leagues out there. And don't tell me leagues are inactive. Don't tell me people are already stopping to make roster moves because that's the argument you'll get later in the year. At this point, there's no reason for Walker to be anything less than 95% rostered. So there are some people, there's some managers, a lot of them, who are still slipping. Go and make sure he is not available right now. Jazz Chisholm, let's talk about him because he left today's game after suffering what looked like an arm-shoulder kind of injury. So he was sliding into second base to steal the bag. I believe it was Kyle Farmer who was covering second base, and he was like between first and second. He wasn't kind of hovering over second, straddling second like you usually see. He was more so onto the first base side, and Jazz went right into his calf or his thigh. He went he into, into his leg. I didn't see in so much detail exactly where he hit. But Jazz had to leave the game. It's obviously not looked good for Jazz since he's been talking about, I'm going to play a whole year, they're going to look stupid, blah, blah, blah. I'm hoping that we see him play a whole year. But his style of play, and of course, this is a this is kind of a fluky injury, right? Sliding into second base, it could happen to literally anybody. It could happen to the fastest guy in the world. It could happen to, you know, Bartolo Colon. Anybody can get hurt sliding into a base. But you are going to have more of an opportunity to get hurt when you are somebody who plays the game the way that Jazz does and the way that he is aggressive in the way he fields, in the way he runs the bases, the way he swings. He's an aggressive baseball player. This is not something where you can say, yeah, we called that Jazz is injury prone. We knew something would – I think that's a, an ignorant take at this point. We know that he is more likely to get hurt because of the way he plays the game. But if he had – you know, if he had – you know, walk into first base, run into first base, and pull up with a hammy or something, then you can make an argument. It's like, oh, my God. 
here we go. And we'll we'll get to Hammies in a second. But Jazz is not somebody where I don't I think the injury prone label should really apply yet. He's still too young for that to really be a thing. It's not it's not what I want to put on him yet, especially because of a fluke like this. If Farmer had been more straddling second base, it's because he went to field where the ball was thrown by the backstop. That's where he caught the ball. That's where he was. It wasn't like he was intending to hurt him or anything like that. But if Farmer had been more in the standard, you know, receiving position for a guy trying to tag out a stealing runner, I don't know that Jazz would have gone and got hurt. So it's not like you can say this is Jazz's fault. The good news, the very, very good news, because it looked bad at first. And there was like hot mic of somebody, I forget who shared it out. There was like a hot mic of somebody saying, oh shit, he's he's done, or something something along those lines, and you would just the initial shock of fantasy baseball Twitter, everybody is playing the bagpipes. Understandably, you know, and a guy like Jazz, who was a very high draft pick, a top 50 pick universally, regardless of your format, is going down in the first week of the year. It's obviously concerning, but apparently he's listed day to day. Apparently they don't think this will require any kind of IL stint. He should be able to come back. Maybe it probably won't be tomorrow. Give him a couple days, obviously, in your weekly lineups. It kind of sucks. But at the end of the day, I think we should classify this as a pretty big victory if Jazz is only going to be missing a couple of days, which does appear to be the case right now. Obviously, things can change. At first, I thought Max Fried was going to be totally fine, and then they put him on the IL. But I think with Jazz, we're likely to be pretty okay here. we got to see how he feels in the morning. Obviously, we don't know 100% sure. By the time you're listening to this, there might be some different news, and I might look like a fool. But at the time of recording, he is listed as day-to-day. I expect him to probably take a day off, maybe two Maybe as many as the rest of the week off, uh, and but it's not as serious as we initially thought. Even if he does take the rest of the week off, that's a victory as far as I see it because of what we were expecting here. Now, I mentioned hamstrings earlier, and to the shock of absolutely nobody, Eloy Jimenez going on to the 10-day IL retroactive to yesterday with a low-grade hamstring, str- hamstring strain. Uh, he's expected to miss two to three weeks. This is why when we saw those initial projections earlier in the offseason of Eloy with 140 games, I think it was Steamer, we're just looking at them and kind of shaking our head because he had never done that before. He had never proven that he's capable of doing that before. Now, this is one where you're not taking a, uh, a victory lap because victory lapping, I think, is, is kind of ridiculous in terms of the fantasy community. We all kind of do it here and there if we're really big on a player and they, and they smash. We're going to tweet about it or something. We're going to talk about it. With Eloy, this is not even to brag. This is just to say, yes, we were avoiding him because we know who he is. He doesn't even have to be playing the field anymore. He hasn't even played the field this year, and he was in spring, which I know was driving us all up the wall, thinking he was going to be playing right field or left field or wherever. I think it was going to be left field. But to just get hurt as the DH, I'm not even sure exactly how he did it. Uh, I don't know if there was a report on... Did they say how it happened? I, I didn't see like a specific play that they highlighted or video clips going around to say, like, yes, it was this ground ball, it was this whatever. I don't know what it is. He just doesn't know how to stay healthy. He, he He's not healthy. That's why we didn't draft him. I didn't draft him. The price, I thought, was a little bit too high. He was getting pushed up by some touts, and I thought, I understand it. If he's healthy, you know, people were calling him, like, uh, was mini Jordan Alvarez, and it's if he's healthy, he can do that. He could be a 35 home run, 100 RBI, good batting average guy. He's just never healthy. And it, it sucks if you drafted him. It sucks because you got to lose him now for an unknown amount of time. 
it's not a good situation to be in. Um, but there's nothing you can really do about it because you spent such a high traffic on him. You're not dropping him. Like there, there's no chance you're dropping Eloy. Even though, in my head, part of me was thinking, just be done with it. Just get rid of him at this point. I mean, it's it's obviously ridiculous. You're not going to be doing that. I just hate the thought of having to deal with him all year. I hate the thought of, you know, the hamstring is up and, oh, you know, he's going on a rehab assignment. He'll be back. He's back for two games and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. It's, it's going to be a pain in the ass. It's going to be a huge pain in the ass to have him, which is why I didn't draft him. Go get Jose Siri. Go get uh, TJ Friedel. Go get somebody else like Andy Diaz, anybody that I recommended today. Like, go and pick up one of these guys. If you're looking for outfield specifically, go get Jose Siri. You're going to get not anywhere near the same kind of power, but you're getting good speed. It probably, for Eloy, like, I'm sure it won't be, he's just done now. Like, I think he'll come back. But I've, I'm worried about, you know, how regularly he's going to be in the White Sox lineup. If it'll be a couple times a week, if it'll be, if this is even going to be a two or three week stint, first of all, like, it could be longer, but once he comes back, if this is even going to be a thing where it's resolved, or if it's just an ongoing thing where he's always kind of hampered by it, because he's just always seems to be hampered by something. There's not, not nothing you can do. You just kind of have to wait. It sucks. Put him on the IL. Go grab Jose Siri. That would be my recommendation in a lot of leagues. Go grab Jose Siri. Now, maybe there's better options available in your particular league. Uh, I'm looking at my 10-team waiver wire right now, uh, just in terms of outfielders. Let me take a look here. Uh, it's 10-teamer versus 12-teamer. It'll obviously be different in certain cases. But even Andrew Benintendi, his teammate, 64% rostered. He's looked pretty good so far. Uh, you could go for James Outman. James Outman is up to 50% rostered. He's given you good power, good speed number so far in a good lineup. Uh, you know, go and grab him. Even Seth Brown to fill in. Estuary Ruiz. Uh, there's there's some options. Garrett Mitchell, Loriano. You, ha- you have options. It's still early in the year, especially in shallow leagues, where you can find replacement value for a couple weeks and it's not going to kill you. But the overall outlook here is very shitty. I'm glad I didn't draft him because we just we, we talked. And I'm not, I, I know it's I just said a minute ago. You know, victory lapping is stupid. It probably sounds like I am taking a victory lap. It's not. It's just we we. It's smart. It's smart analysis. And I'm not one to ta- pat myself on the back really. But it's just you don't take somebody that high up with that kind of track record for injury because you just can't trust them. That's why Byron Buxton didn't go, you know, in the top 70 picks. That's why Luis Robert wasn't a first-round pick because you kind of have to factor in those injury concerns when you are drafting. And it's it's just the way it is with Eloy at this point that he is not somebody that you can rely on when you draft. And next year, you say the same thing. Even if he comes back and he plays 130-some-odd games, 120, I, I mean, even that seems very pie in the sky. But even if, he, even if he does that, plays 120 games, I'd still argue not to take him where we took him this year because it's just... One thing after another, and I'm not sure that I can ever really trust Eloy Jimenez. Let's talk about one more piece of news for today. This one is a little bit interesting, and it will have an impact from a fantasy point of view, but it is a real-life weird situation going on with Tyler O'Neill. So I didn't see the play initially. I saw on the replay of there was a base hit into right field. Ronald Acuna Jr., Threw the ball into home. Uh, Tyler O'Neill was on second when this play started, and he was rounding third. Now, I didn't see the angle of the third base coach. The shots that I saw were not with the third base coach in them, but apparently he sent Tyler O'Neill when it was maybe a little bit iffy. He probably shouldn't have sent him. O'Neill was not running to third with the expectation of being sent home, so he wasn't going all out. He figured he was going second to third on a base hit. The ball was hit right to Ronald Acuna Jr., who was one of the strongest arms in baseball, especially in the outfield. And I think O'Neill knew that, and he wasn't really expecting to be to get the green light. 
He was sent home, and he looked like he was going at a pretty decent pace. Um, but, you know, the manager called him out publicly for it and said that's not the kind of effort we want around here, and he benched him today. Now, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. O'Neill's speed, his sprint speed, had been down a couple miles an hour to begin the year anyway, going from what was previously like elite sprint speed to very mediocre middle of the pack. A couple miles an hour does make a huge, huge difference when we're talking about the time from you know first to second, second to third, second to home. Uh, you know, if you're talking in a car and you think 60 miles an hour, 62 miles an hour, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But in this case, it's a huge, huge difference. And people think, some people think he's been taking that off himself, not going all out 100% to try and sustain himself uh, through potential injuries. Because he did miss a lot of time last year. I think he's probably trying to stay on the field as much as anything this year and, you know, keep a spot in the lineup, which he does not have because of this perceived lack of effort. I think it was unfair to call him out like that. And O'Neill even said it too. Uh, which is, there's going to be some drama here for sure, because he said, after the fact, I wish this could have been handled pub or privately, behind closed doors, talk to me about it personally, don't air it at a press conference. I totally get it. You're upset with your young guy, and Tyler O'Neill, still 27 years old, he's still a fairly young dude. If you're upset with him as your manager, I don't think you should be airing it out at a press conference in the first week of the season if there's, you know, if you think that he wasn't trying hard enough, then you sit him down and you talk to him about it. And if you need to sit him, you sit him, but you don't make it a public spectacle. Uh, which is what they've done here, because this has just become a media circus here on Twitter and on different social media platforms today, talking about Tyler O'Neill, and it's it's not what you want to see. It looks like a bit of a shit show uh, in your clubhouse to start the year for a team that is, you know, has World Series aspirations. They probably need another starting pitcher or two, but that lineup is good enough to go to the World Series. They have a World Series caliber closer, I think, in Ryan Helsley. This is not the kind of bullshit that you want to be seeing to start the year. And for our purposes as fantasy managers with Tyler O'Neill, it definitely makes it more tricky when figuring out what his outlook is going to be this year. Because first of all, the Cardinals, they have a ton of outfielders. They they could trade Tyler O'Neill and not be, you know, plugging in a guy from AAA in outfield. Like it's not like they'd have that kind of concern of, oh, we need Tyler O'Neill because there's nobody else there. No, they got Walker who can play the outfield. They've got Dylan Carlson. They've got Burleson. I'm missing a couple people off the top of my head here for sure. They have like four or five people capable of playing the outfield. O'Neal, or Tyler O'Neill is one of them. Uh, Newt Barr is another one who's hurt right now. But I just, I don't know that they're going to hold on to him through this. Considering the struggles he had last year, considering you know public shit with the manager, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets traded and the Cardinals try and acquire a piece uh, in, for the rotation back from him. I saw Tyler O'Neill for Trevor Rogers uh, thrown around a little bit today, although I think Marlins Twitter just wants Trevor Rogers gone so so much that whenever they see any kind of player and any kind of possible trade situation, they just say, we'll give you Trevor Rogers for him. We'll give you Trevor Rogers for him. But I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. I'm thinking that we might see some less than great outcomes here with O'Neal, whether it is he gets traded to a, a weaker team, whether it's he plays fewer games, because he's already sat a couple times this year now. When he's been out there, he's been good. He has hits in the games that he's started. He's hit a home run. He scored a couple runs, driven in a couple. He's looked pretty good. But if you're not in the good graces of the manager, then there's not really so much that you can hope for. So I'm I'm still not sure exactly where my analysis is going to lie with O'Neill. For now, there's nothing you can do about it. If you're setting a lineup next week, it might be a you might feel a little risky putting him in there. But I think you still don't really change course at this point. You kind of just continue setting him when he starts, and if there is any kind of news that comes out of it, then you adjust and 
yeah, he's not going to be a drop. I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain that he won't end up being a drop, but he might end up lowering uh, himself in our estimations of him just based on the volume because he may lack for volume if this is going to be the case. If he has a public spot with the manager, manager starts to sit him, you know, more regularly. It might not be good for his fantasy purposes. We just kind of have to monitor. He did sit today. If he keeps sitting, if he sits another couple days, then you start to get worried a little bit. For now, there's nothing you can do. Uh, you got to be very cautious, of course, and you're setting, uh, you know, there's partial week lineups in NFBC where you set it from Friday onwards or whatever it is, Thursday or Friday onwards. I think it's Friday. Maybe you don't set him for the weekend series because you're not sure about his playing time. I think daily changes leagues, you, you, you know, your decision's made for you, essentially, if he's starting or not, then you start him if he's in the lineup. But I think that my estimation of him did plummet a little bit here just based on the, the way that I think they may use him now going forward, if he's even going to remain on the team, because I think that is it's still a bit of a question mark considering uh, their outfielder depth. But guys, that will wrap it up for us today. I hope you appreciate, or I hope you appreciate, I appreciate you guys hanging out with me today, uh, getting my words jumbled a couple times here. And you know what it was too? I'm realizing now I didn't have coffee this morning. I don't know if that's exactly what to attribute it to, but I did not start the day with coffee, which is what I almost always do uh, 99.9% of the time. So apologies for a couple of the uh, slip-ups there with the Josh Rojas eligibility with Siri getting mixed up. But anyway, I appreciate you guys for hanging out with me here on the show. It's a very fun experience for me getting to do this podcast and you guys hanging out, seeing the downloads go up uh, as we've gone through this last year have been really cool to see uh, you guys listen to the show. really does mean a lot. Check me out over on Twitter. I'll answer any questions you guys throw my way at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And make sure you're following Ethos Fantasy BB. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. It's where all of our new content gets posted, podcasts, articles, different news and notes. All of our baseball content is available for you there at Ethos Fantasy BB. And, of course, go check out SportsEthos.com as well. You hover over the MLB tab and you get all of our new content all of our content in general uh you can go back and look at all of our draft guide content and all the different articles that the guys have worked so hard on uh they're all there for you at sportsethos.com but guys that will do it for us today we'll be back with more of the same tomorrow we'll recap the night slate we'll look at the batters we'll talk about some streamers to look forward to and we'll do all the same usual stuff that you guys are going to become more accustomed to if you were here last year for the regular season you probably generally know what these shows are going to look like, but if not, you guys are going to start to figure it out. It'll generally look a lot like the, today's show did. Uh, as we get closer to the weekend, we'll look more pitching streamers. Earlier in the week, we look at some two-start guys. Fairly standard stuff here, but we hope to give it our own little spin. But guys, I really appreciate it. Once again, leave a review on the show if you wouldn't mind. Let me know what you think, whether you're listening on Google, Spotify, Apple, any of those different services. Uh, if you're able to give a rating and review, I'd really appreciate that. Let me know what you think. But we will see you tomorrow, guys. Until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S., through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.